morning. Let's pray together before we uh, dig into God's word today. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this time. Thank you for uh, your word, Lord. And let's pray that your Holy Spirit now would fill our hearts. Help us, Lord, to see the depth and the beauty, the encouragement, the love that we see in your word today. I have felt uh, greatly inadequate these last weeks as I've been preparing, preaching, plumb the depths of these great truths and help us to understand them more, both in our practical lives today, and how they really impact our worship and our, the depth of our relationship with you, Lord. So God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill each of our hearts today and in this time now. Give us wisdom. Help us to see. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your amazing word has to say to us today, Lord. And may we leave this time, Lord, abounding in hope, filled with joy, peace, and understanding of your word and work of your spirit in our hearts. That's what we desperately need in our lives today, Lord. We need you. We need a great work of your spirit in our hearts today. So we cry out to you now in this time, Lord. Just uh, pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Romans 15. In Romans chapter 15 today. And we've now come to the climax of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 15. All of the book has been building up to this point right here. And I'm excited to, to preach this passage today. Uh, and I've been like worried about it. It's like, man, I really want to like do this right. <laughs> So God help me, because I'm, I'm just so excited about what is in this passage today. What we've been learning over the last few weeks as we've gone through 12, 13, 14, and 15. Now all the book has been building to this point. What we see here is the beauty of God's plan for the salvation of the world. You know, it's so much more than just getting along with each other. Which is really, you know, if you look at the details of it, it's really what we've been learning, right? how to bear with each other and you know and, and you know not judge each other not despise each other and you know all of that is for a specific purpose the specific purpose of understanding the beauty of god's plan of salvation for the entire world not just for the jews not just for the nations but but for everyone for everyone the main point of it all is the glorifying of God in the united worship of Jew and Gentile together in Messiah Jesus. That, that's what all of this is pointing to. The shared worship of all of the nations is, is central to this teaching. There is one God. And all who confess Jesus as Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead... We all belong in the same worshiping family and in the same table fellowship with each other. You know, basically, we should all be able to get together and have a meal together and enjoy it. And I say enjoy it. <laughs> right? We can get together and we can grin and bear it. But we should be able to enjoy each other worshiping together, enjoy each other fellowshipping and having a meal together. That's the heart of God for us. 
And we've seen in chapter 14 that there are you know, some things that appear to divide us as believers in the Christian community, and they do so very deeply in terms of our practice of these things. Specifically, we dealt with differences in diet and in days, the foods that we eat, the days that we observe in respect to Jewish believers in the church. These things are deeply important to them, and opinions about them often cause, they're often a cause for pride and disunity in the church, and we talked about that specifically in the Jewish context, and we talked about that, you know, in, even in our context today, there are certain things that we have deep convictions about, and those things, you know, can cause us to have pride. They can cause us to judge each other, to even despise each other, because we don't understand the other person. We don't, we think, you know, what's wrong with you? You know, if you just knew what I know and practice what I practice, then, you know, you'd be right. Not, you know, I'm right. We, we work so hard to be right. And we want to be right about these things. So it causes division and disunity and lack of harmony in the church. And we've learned that instead of judging, and despising each other about our differences of opinions on these things, we should instead seek to welcome each other and build each other up. Completely different mindset. We've learned not to focus on our differences of opinions and look down on each other. But instead, you know, let's focus on what we have in common. Our deep love for Messiah Jesus how we can encourage each other and build each other up in that love. Now, don't put a stumbling block down in front of your brother and cause them to fall and destroy them with your own conviction. No, change that mindset. Let's look to build each other up in, in our interactions with each other and in our love for each other, not tear each other down. Completely different mindset. And we learn that it essentially comes all back to one great teaching. You remember it? Love your neighbor as yourself. It's the fulfillment of all the law. Remember that Jesus died for you. He died for me. He died for each one of us. And each one of us has benefited from his self-giving love. Have we not? Have we not all experienced the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ? We have. And so in those times of, you know, when we want to put a stumbling block out in front of a brother, we want to judge or despise, we need to remember that Jesus accepted me. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. We just saying that. He's the one that washed us white as snow. So let's show that same self-giving love to others, because that's the example Jesus set for us. So let's seek to build each other up and not to stumble, cause each other to stumble. Beyond that, let's, let's take care of each other and think on, even be intentional about how to avoid making life difficult for each other. But instead, you know, look to, to build each other up, to, to speak in ways and act in ways for edification, for the building up of others, each other in Christ. This is of prime importance in our church community. And we've seen that when we show this kind of love and we have this kind of unity and fellowship, even given that we're so different, every one of us is so different, 
But when we show this kind of unity and fellowship and love, the world takes notice of that. The world takes notice of that. And God is ultimately glorified through it all. We do that for God's glory. When we live that way, we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that, we also, we are filled with hope and joy and peace. That's what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking and all these personal preferences and being right and they're wrong and all these things and bickering and backbiting and all these things. No, that is not the kingdom of God. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is about hope and joy and peace and love in Messiah Jesus. And so now we're at Romans chapter 15. And we're going to take the first 13 verses. I'm going to read them as, you know, one unit, and then we'll walk through them together. So look with me in your Bibles, Romans chapter 15, starting at verse 1. <clears throat> Paul continues his teaching here. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Christ, the hope of the Gentiles, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen. And so we see at the beginning, you can see there's, there's specific instruction, you know, bear with one, one another's weaknesses and leading up to this this theme of worship at the end paul is pouring his heart out of worship to the lord quoting the psalms and saying may the god of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so we have this 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 climax of worship to the lord filled with joy and hope and love and worship and so let's start with chapter 15 verse 1 and it's a pretty clear teaching here we need to bear with each other's weaknesses it's pretty simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. <laughs> simple and easy are very different things. And a lot of things in life are simple, but this is not easy. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear 
with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Some of your translations add a little italics in there and just not please ourselves or think, but, but it's, pretty, it's pretty rigid here. You don't live for yourself. You live to please others. Whoa, okay. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And so it's the strong, including Paul himself, who are under obligation to bear with the weaknesses of those without strength. I don't think that the translation we have here, failings of the weak, is the best translation. That really casts a negative shadow or connotation on those folks. I think the verse is better translated as using this phrase, you know, bear with the weaknesses of those without strength or with the weaknesses of the powerless. That's more of what the literal Greek words mean. You bear with the weaknesses of those without strength. And it is we who are strong are the ones that are obligated to support them. Now let's rewind a little bit and remember who's, who's known as the strong and who's known as the weak. Because sometimes in our minds, we get that reversed actually. We know from chapter 14, it was the ones who are considered weak that had all the rules. They were known as, they were the Jewish believers, the ones who had all the rules concerning food, all the rules and laws concerning the days that needed to be observed, right? They were considered the ones weaker in the faith. The ones who were considered strong in the faith were the ones that felt free from those convictions. I don't have to keep the Sabbath day. I don't have to keep Yom Kippur. I don't have to keep Passover, Tabernacles, and Pentecost, and all the feasts. I don't have to keep the, the kosher Jewish diet. I am free in Jesus Christ from, from those laws. They were considered the ones to be strong. Now, in our culture today, we kind of get that upside down. We think, okay, you know, if I'm the one who keeps all these rules, and I've got this long list of rules, and if I keep those rules, then I'm the one stronger in the faith. And when those guys get stronger in their, in their journey with and walk with God, then they'll be stronger in the faith and they'll keep the rules too. But that's, that's upside down. That's not what we see here. The strong are the ones who are free. They understand their freedom in Christ and they, they don't keep the day in order to glorify God. They don't keep the kosher diet because they're thankful that they're free and they give glory to God in not keeping the diet. Now the Jewish believers here in this context, they keep that rule. And, in, and they're doing it because they also love God. They do it from a heart of worship to God. And so we, are, we learned in chapter 14, hey, let's not judge each other in that. The one who keeps the, the dietary law does it because he wants to glorify God. They do it out of a heart of worship and love to God. Don't, don't despise them for that. And you, you who keep those rules, you, you have these strong convictions and you know, don't project them onto other believers and then judge them for not living your convictions. You know, they're living in freedom out of a, a thankful heart to God. Let's give each other the benefit of the doubt in these circumstances. And let's understand that, you know, each one of us loves the Lord Jesus with all of our heart. And we do what we do because we want to glorify him with our lives. Let's start from that position. That's what we learn in chapter 14. We need to start from that place. And we are, who are the strong, we're the ones obligated to bear with the weaknesses of the weak. 
And not be prideful and braggadocious about our freedom in Christ and go, you know, snub those folks because, well, they just keep all their rules. What's wrong with them? You know, one day they'll learn. I'm not going to associate with them and I'm going to be apart and separated from them. And, and boy, we, I think we've really done a good job of this in the church throughout church history. I mean, look how many denominations we have now. Look how we separate each other and segregate each other. And man, I mean, we're, don't, we're not very good at, you know, coming together and, and bearing with each other's weaknesses and differences throughout church history. And that is, that's sad. Now that, that's really not God's heart for his bride in the church. And our teaching here is helping us with this. You know, we who are strong, we're the one who have the obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And notice that he uses the word bear with it here. You know, you know what that means? You know, that means it's like, it ain't easy to do. <laughs> yeah, even Ellie understands that. You know, she probably bears with some of the things her brother and sister do with her, right? She's like, it's not easy. We bear with it. Like, come on, you, you can do this. You persevere through this. We bear with the failings of the week. So in a, in a context like this, it's like, you know, we want to have a big church luncheon. And we know our Jewish brothers, you know, they, they don't want, you know, they have lots of dietary restrictions. So we need to, you know, honor those. We really do need to honor those, and we need to do it in a loving and kind way, not make them feel bad about it, right? We bear with it. So no, we're not going to cater the, the pork barbecue. No, we're not going to, you know, bring the unclean foods in and, you know, have a table for us and have a table for them, and then they don't even want to get near it or come in the room and, and those types of things. No, we're not even, even going to do that. We're going to go out of our way to build them up and help them to feel comfortable and welcome and confident here. But we're gonna go the second mile on this one. It's beyond just like putting up with each other. And this is, this is that's why you bear with it. It's not easy. Like we gotta, those of us who are strong have to intentionally say, okay, I am not living to please myself right now. It's not about Ryan. This is about my brother, my sister in Christ, who Christ Jesus died for. He died for my brother or my sister. He died for me. Can I not put aside my preference and conviction for this one moment in time to build up my brother or sister in the Lord? Yes, I can. I can do that. And I should. That's the right thing to do. And not only just put up with it, but rejoice in it. Find joy in it. Do it as an act of worship and overflow of love from my heart to Jesus in it. You know, I, I was reminded of this clearly. You know, we, we got together for the Jubilee here in town and up in Franklinton. And, and boy, that brought together different churches. That was wonderful. I love that. Right? And they're playing all kinds of different music. They have different teaching styles and preaching styles. And, and, and there's just, you know, every, we're, we're very different. And I can imagine, you know, I was thinking, how can I apply this to our situation today? Well, imagine, you know, you're at the Jubilee and one of the people from the other church comes up to you and they're so excited. You know, we're so excited here 
at the Jubilee, we're all worshiping together. You know, we all love Jesus. And boy, I can't wait to tell you about my new Holy Roller diet. I started the Holy Roller diet when I joined this church over here. And, and there ain't been nothing like it, you know. And I wish everybody would, would be on the Holy Roller diet, too, because it really helps me feel close to God. And they go on and on about the Holy Roller diet, how excited they are about this great new diet. Oh, I can't drink this, and I can't eat this, and I can't do that. And boy, I'm already feeling so much better. You all experienced people have been on a new diet, right? <laughs> I've, I've done it. Like, oh, man, I'm vegetarian. I got to go tell the whole world I'm vegetarian. And I was like, everybody's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Somebody told me, I think it was Rob told me, how do you know somebody is like a vegetarian? They'll tell you. <laughs> but yeah, that was me. Yeah, and so they're really excited about this. Now, there's a couple ways we can respond to this, right? Now, our typical way of responding to this, and I'm talking about myself, you guys are more holy than I am. I'm going to tell you how I typically respond is that is weird. <laughs> I'm thinking that is weird. What is wrong with them? Because they're saying things like, boy, I feel so much closer to God in this. And it helps me, you know, feel more spiritual. And they're saying things like this. You know, you can, this is how this kind of stuff plays out. And my first response is, man, that is weird. What is wrong with them? Uh-huh. As I'm nodding, smiling, but in my mind, I'm thinking that is that's just weird. And so, what the text is telling me here today, and he's telling us, is hey, let's have a different response than that. Let's not start judging in our hearts this other person who's genuinely, you know, excited about their relationship with the Lord. They love the Lord Jesus. You know, they they're doing this because, in their heart of hearts, they're sincere. They 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 think it's drawing them closer to the Lord. And we who are strong, we know in our minds, like, what you eat and put in your mouth doesn't, you know, make you holy. Jesus was clear about that. Don't you know that? Don't you remember Jesus said, that's red letters. <laughs> right? So we start thinking these things, and all of a sudden, we're down this path of judging. We're down this path of despising. You see how this plays out? I'm trying to give just practical scenarios. So we're there at the Jubilee. We should all be excited and worshiping together. And now I'm already starting to judge and despise. Boy, they're different. They're weird. What's wrong with them? Man. That's how it kind of plays out. <clears throat> and so the Lord's teaching us here today. You know, what if we turn that? What if we turned it from the, wow, that's weird. What's wrong with them? You know, don't they know? That type of line of thinking to being more interested. Like, oh, that's different. I don't have to believe that. I don't have to necessarily even, you know, adopt the holy roller diet once we leave this place, right? But while I'm there, I can be more interested. Holy roller diet, tell me more. Because <laughs> they're excited about it. Get just listen, right? Trying to be interested in what they're saying rather than being interesting yourself. Because a lot of times we're not even listening to the other person. We're like already formulating our answer. You know, it's like, oh, they got the Holy Roller diet. Well, I got to come up with something even more interesting back here. So then when it's my turn, then I'm going to impress them with my new thing. We're not even listening. So what if we changed our mindset? Let's be interested rather than being interesting. 
And listen, holy roller diet, tell me more. Really? Just listen and understand what they have to say. Because when we understand where they're coming from, we can live out the teaching here of not living to please ourselves, but bearing with the weaknesses of those without strength and actually living in and acting in ways that can actually please them. We will understand what pleases them and we can actually do kind things, kind acts, say kind words that will allow us and enable us to please them instead of ourselves. If we're not listening, if we're just already judging and despising in our minds, you have, you're not going to know anything about how to please another person. You give them this great shiny gift and they'll be like, uh, what? Thanks. That's what you want, not what I want. We see right here, you know, notice the goal of our lives is not to please ourselves. We're to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. I have to keep repeating that in my mind because I am naturally wired. We are naturally wired to live for and please ourselves. And in your heart of hearts, you know that's true. First thing you're thinking about, you know, when you get up, like, hey, what do I want to eat for, for meals today? <laughs> what do I want to do today? Uh, you know, we're, we're made to please ourselves. We want to please ourselves. And the teaching here is the opposite. Love your neighbor as yourself, first and foremost. So this is a very radical and different way of thinking and living. It's radically different. Gospel living in the community of God is about loving our neighbor. It's about intentionally thinking of how we can offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God through love and humility and service to our neighbor. That's where we, we came from back in Romans chapter 12. I urge you, I beg you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. That is your spiritual worship. We don't take, we don't bring goats and bulls into this room anymore and slay them and burn them on an altar as the sacrifice. No, each one of us in this room is the living sacrifice. And these are the ways we live out that sacrifice. It's our spiritual worship when we show these acts of kindness and love to each other. Neighbor love is the fulfillment of the law, and it is central to living the gospel. After all, Jesus led the way and gave us the perfect example to follow, and that's where we go next. Look at verse 3. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Jesus, the Messiah, did not live to please himself. The King of glory, King of kings, Lord of lords, the great I am, creator of all things, did not live to please himself. He is our example. Now, Paul's statement in here, I've read this, I'm like, this is, this is a huge understatement because not only did he not live to please himself, he submitted himself to great persecution, gruesome torture, and a horrific death through crucifixion 
not only did he not live to please himself, think of what Jesus did. He willingly and joyfully submitted to all of those things. All for our salvation and the glory of God. I mean, think of the shame and the horror of the cross. Think about that for a moment. Not only did he didn't just come and not please himself, he, he, he gave himself on the cross and willingly did it, joyfully did it. And he quotes, Paul quotes Psalm 69 here. Psalm 69 is a Psalm of David crying out in deep sorrow, pain, and suffering. He cries out to God. He's surrounded by those who hate him without cause and want to destroy him. And why do they want to destroy him? All for the sake of honoring God with his life. You can read the psalm. His heart was to honor God. And so you do that, you, you live for the Lord, and you're going to get some enemies. You're going to face persecution. There will be multitudes that rise up and hate you for the sake of the Lord and your love for the Lord and serving the Lord. And so he's surrounded by enemies, people that want to kill him. As he suffers, even to the point of death, David offers up this praise, this song. Psalm 69, 30 says, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy. does not despise his own people who are prisoners. You, you got to imagine that was the situation Jesus was in on the cross. Surrounded by enemies. Dying for our sins on the cross. All of our reproaches fell on him. Look at verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And so Paul refers back to Psalm 69 there. In, in, in teaching us that, you know, Jesus didn't live for himself. He lived to love others. He lived to love you and me and show that love. Show what it looks like to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Show what it looks like to love our neighbor as ourselves. Even that dirty, rotten scoundrel that deserves hell. Me. Died for me died for you. And so he quotes the Psalms and helping us understand that teaching. And then we're told here, hey, the scriptures that were written before, they're written that we might have hope. It's through the scriptures, the word of God, that we have hope. It's in the word of God that people will be able to think the same way and glorify God together. You know, if we didn't have the word of God, it would just be one opinion versus another opinion versus another teaching versus another rabbi. You know, like, who, who is the truth? What is the truth? We have God's word. God's word is truth. And so it's the word of God. It's the, the faithful witness of the scriptures that we all believe in 
and where we draw our hope from. When things seem hopeless, we go to the word of God. When life seems hopeless and you're in the struggle, maybe in the depths of despair and sorrow and pain, we, we don't go out to the middle of the woods, close our eyes and, and meditate and get a, a fresh word from God. You could do that. But that's dangerous. I'd say you need to go right here. You need to go right to this word. Take this with you out to the woods and read it and pray. And listen to what God has to say in his word. His word is where we draw forth our hope. And the scriptures that he's referring to is the Old Testament. That's what Paul's referring to here when he says the encouragement of the scriptures, the Old Testament text. In them we have hope. It's in the word of God and through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we can have patience and encouragement to bear with the weaknesses of the weak. To bear with the weaknesses of those without strength. It takes perseverance to do that. To keep denying yourself. Taking up and, and taking up your cross daily. It takes endurance. It takes perseverance. Sometimes we lose hope. You know, the psalmist writes, Psalm 73, you know, I've washed my hands in vain. All the wicked prosper. Why have I wasted my life doing the right thing, basically, is the summary. Then he realizes, no, I got it all wrong. Then I see God in his temple. Then I see the end of the wicked. Then I see that now the righteous are blessed. And we, we have a tendency to lose hope. So the scriptures are written for our encouragement that we might have hope. And so when we're feeling weak and discouraged and hopeless, let's look to the word of God. There is where we will find strength and encouragement to press on and endure the trials of life. Verse 5, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at all the oneness right there in verses 5 and 6. There's tremendous oneness, one another, one accord, one voice. God wants us to have a unified mind in our church and in the church community, in our family. He wants us to have a, uni a united mind, to live in harmony with each other in Jesus. We're to have one mind, one worship. Literally here it says with one voice, but literally means one mouth. With one mouth. We will glorify the Lord. The one God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is the one we worship. There is one God, one love, one church, one worship. United in harmony and beauty. And so therefore, verse 7, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. For the glory of God. We have a specific call here. We have a call to welcome one another. And that goes back to chapter 14, verse 1. And it's built on the example of Jesus that we just read. We're to welcome each other. And not for the purpose of judging each other for our different opinions. Remember that? Chapter 14, verse 1. Welcome each other in the Lord Jesus. Not for the purpose of judging and despising each other. 
How so you can have a big judge fest party, pick each other apart. Not for that purpose. No, for the purpose of glorifying the Lord Jesus. Look, Jesus welcomed you. He made he set the model of living for us and, and how to love our neighbor. Now, as I was reading this, it's like Ryan, you know, Jesus welcomed your sorry <laughs> self. <laughs> Why can't you welcome others? Come on. Jesus welcomed you despite how sorry and sinfully ugly you are, Ryan. So get over yourself. Welcome others just as Christ has welcomed you. Why? For the glory of God. It all comes back to that. Everything God does is for his glory. All the teaching here in his word is for us to you know, obey and walk in, and in doing so, we bring him glory. It's not for us. But in bringing God glory and living this out from a heart of love and worship, we find great joy in it. We find great pleasure in glorifying the Lord, loving our neighbor. And so let's show that love and welcome each other in the church and in the church community, our bearing with each other and welcoming each other is for the glory of God. So just remember that, you know, when you're in that situation, you're starting to feel the negative thoughts and feelings come in. It's like, okay, no, no, no. shut that down. Shut that down right now. I want to live for God, for God's glory right now. That's what matters. Not about me. I want to live for God's glory. I want to do it right now. I'm going to make that choice right now. For I tell you, verse 8, that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. See that Christ became a servant. The king of glory humbled himself and served. He became a servant. And we see here, you know, God hasn't done one thing for the Jews and another thing for the Gentiles. God has designed mercy for all. And that's what we were reading all through Romans 8, 9, 10, 11. Even before that, it's all about, you know, God showing mercy to everyone. And that's how he, he starts chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Because God has shown mercy to all. The purpose for Israel always had the Gentiles in mind. And the purpose for the Gentiles always had that they would come into the fulfilled, returned from exile Israel. God's plan of salvation has always been for Israel and the nations. One united worship. And Paul is making his final appeal to the church community here. Jesus Messiah became a servant to the circumcision, that's the Jews. So us Gentile Christians should love and serve our Jewish brothers and sisters in the Messiah and not look down on them. There's no place for us to look down on the Jewish believers or any other believers for that matter. And all of this is in order that the Gentiles, we should join with God's ancient people in united praise. 
And so he's, he's teaching here, you Jewish Christians, you should celebrate the fact that you have people of every race joining with you in the Messianic community. And the gathering of the Gentiles into the one people of God, not by works of law or the Torah, but simply by faith in God's saving action in the Messiah. All of that works together to result in the united praise of all. And this is what Jesus's servant work was all about all along. It's what it all was working for. And so the, the teaching here is let us rejoice and be glad in that. And, and that's what I'm trying to communicate today as I preach this. Is, you know, there's the practical of us bearing with each other in the church for the glory of God. And then there's the, the worship of it. As I read these texts, I'm like, oh, praise God. Look what you have done. And we rejoice in it and we worship the Lord. It's like, wow, this is amazing, Jesus, what you have done. God, your plan of salvation is beautiful. It's this beautiful tapestry you've been weaving throughout time and space. And let us rejoice and be glad in it. I want you to feel that joy today in your hearts. The way I'm feeling it. And so it results in, in praise. You see there in the next verses. Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. And sing to your name. And again it is said rejoice O Gentiles with his people. And again praise the Lord all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him and praise him. And so it's this climax of praise. And I've been reading this over and over again throughout the weeks. And I'm like yes praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for what he has done. He's quoting Psalm 18 here. And when you read Psalm 18, you see this pattern of suffering and vindication through God's salvation and mercy that has been poured out. And so often it is in our lives. Through suffering, we cry out to God. And he hears our cries. Later on in that psalm, you see, the Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. I love that song. We used to sing that song in college ministry all the time. And as soon as I read that, I'm like, oh, that's that song. I love that song. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. He also quotes Deuteronomy 32 here, which is the song of Moses. It's the song Moses sang as some of his final words to the Israelites before his death. <clears throat> and he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Moses understood God's plan of salvation was not just for Israel. Moses understood that. And he says here, rejoice, O Gentiles, rejoice, O nations, with God's people. Then he quotes Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. All the nations are to worship the one God of Israel. And that's what the Old Testament scriptures were all about. Now, how this would happen remained almost a complete mystery in the ancient scriptures, but it's been Paul's theme throughout Romans, and it's now been accomplished through Messiah Jesus, 
and by the Holy Spirit of God. Look at verse 12. Again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. And then we're going to start to see this word hope appear more and more as he closes out this passage of scripture. He ends his citation of praises here from the scriptures with the quote from Isaiah 11. He quotes Isaiah 11 here. The Gentiles will come to hope in the Davidic Messiah, the root of Jesse. He is the one who rises to rule the nations. It's an echo of how Paul opened the letter. You go back to Romans 1, you can see he says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. So he's connecting things back to the very opening of the letter now. And was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior, and he is the Lord of the whole world. Isaiah speaks here of God's purpose to renew the whole created order, and to gather the remnant of Israel together with the Gentile world into the one community of salvation. So he is wrapping up all of what he's been teaching with these psalms of praise and Isaiah's teaching here that it all has happened through Messiah Jesus. And the theme that comes through here in these verses is hope. And I want to end on that thought. Verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God is the God of hope. He wants us all, young, old, grandpa, grandson, all of us, Mom and dad, brothers, sisters, he wants us all to be filled with joy and peace in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us, we may not just have a shred of hope. We will abound in hope. Hope is sustained by the joy and peace we are filled with through the Holy Spirit. This hope not only fills our hearts individually, but it flows out from us into the church community. And that's why we need to be together with each other. We need to not forsake assembling together as is the habit of some. We need each other. You don't think you need other people. You're in a bad place. We desperately need each other. Because when I'm feeling hopeless, you are here to build me up and encourage me and give me hope. Hope flows out of us into others. We help each other. We pray for each other. We, we abound in hope through each other in the church community. 
It's the power of the Holy Spirit, the power that raised Jesus from the dead and is even now at work among us who are in the church. It's the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that sustains this hope and peace and joy in our believing hearts. So when we are facing the struggles of life, some of us are on the mountaintops right now. Some of us are like, man, life is so amazing. Everything's going great. Smooth as butter. It's amazing. Boy, you just savor that time. Some of us are in the valleys of life right now. And all we see is the valley of the deep darkness. And we go, we read Psalm 23. Reading it over and over again. Crying out for hope. For whatever reason, it could be finances, it could be relationships, it could be health issues, it could be anything. You know what it is with you, I know what it is with me. And we hold on to the word of God. Hold on to each other. Cry out to God for hope. Lean in hard to the word of God. Draw on it. Pray for the spirit to work in our hearts and give us joy and peace. Hope. Not just a shred of hope. But even abound in that hope. So, when we find ourselves in conflict and strife or dissension with other believers in the church community over the holy roller diet or what day they want to get together and worship on or where they think we should send our kids to school or not or is the, the outfit they're wearing appropriate or not you know all these things that cause disunity and disharmony let's remember these words Let's bear with each other and welcome each other. Can we do that? Not without God's help. We'll hear this today and we're like, wow, that's so right. That's so right. I want to do that. And then five minutes later, we'll be out there judging and despising each other again. Let's lean into this deeply. Let's give each other the benefit of the doubt and show the grace and mercy that Christ has shown us. Just remember that Christ died for you. Sorry, sinner. <laughs> Show some grace and mercy and compassion. Let's tap into the hope and joy and peace we have in Christ. And let's live in harmony with each other. All for the glory of God, the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ.